Trust in financial services has been increasing. But with trust in technology companies decreasing and the pandemic accelerating the shift to digital financial services, it's more important than ever to actively build and maintain trust. In association with MyTech, we've launched a report that explores the current trust issues facing financial services brands and how they can be overcome. Head to bit.ly forward slash digital trust report 2021 to download it now. Hello and welcome to InsureTech Insider episode 90. I'm Sarah Kachansky. In today's episode, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence in insurance claims processes. AI is used in many areas of insurance and it can help workers save time, digest large volumes of data and erase human errors. But is there a need for a human touch when it comes to complex claims? And how do we master the balance between humans and robots? To dive into this topic, I'm joined by some excellent guests. Uh, first up, we have Mira Krishnamurthy, Global Head of Insurance at professional services vendor Cognizant. How are you doing today, Mira? Hi, Sarah. Thank you. I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me in the show today. No worries. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Cognizant, please? Sure. At Cognizant, um, at the core of our business, our purpose is to engineer modern businesses to improve everyday life. So what it means is uh, at the heart of our uh, cognizance purpose is to help our clients be one step ahead by using technology, which includes AI and other means to enhance their workday, their everyday life. Brilliant. Well, also joining us today is Anap Darabale, Insurance Chief Technology Officer at IBM. How are you doing today, Anap? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Sarah, for having me on this podcast together with Mira and Andrew. And whilst I think we all know what IBM is, could you give us a little bit of an overview of what IBM is doing in the insurance space particularly? Because I feel like if you were to tell us what IBM was, we'd probably be here for 45 minutes listening to that. But um, just the insurance space today, please. (laughs) Yes, of course. First, as insurers accelerate digitization and their journey to cloud, in order to free up infrastructure capital so that they can invest in innovation, we are there to help them along the way. We believe that hybrid cloud architecture is a reality for all insurers, and we are helping insurers transform towards this future. Second, insurers are looking to gain a better understanding of their customers to be able to meet their needs where the customers are, offer them the right products and services, anticipate risk protection needs, and offer better risk protection advice. So if we look internally, insurers are looking to improve their business processes. So what we are doing as IBM is to help insurers extract value from their data using artificial intelligence, machine learning, advanced analytics, so that they can serve the needs of their customers better. And of course, along the way, we also provide insurers with computing infrastructure, whether it's on-premise or cloud, and innovate in areas like quantum and blockchain and look for applications in insurance. Brilliant. Well, we are joined by one more guest today as well, um, who you've already mentioned there, which is Andrew Naum, Head of Sales at Evolution IQ. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm great. Pleasure to meet you, Sarah, and everyone else on the podcast and uh you know great to be here thanks for having me and well thank you for coming before we kick off though can you tell us a little bit about evolution iq sure we're, we're certainly the newest player on the podcast today so we've been around for about two and a half years and essentially we are a claims monitoring platform that leverages artificial intelligence and machine learning 
to predict severity and risk across claims organizations. So we're founded by ex-Google data scientists who really looked at where can we leverage our expertise, our knowledge of machine learning and these technologies. And insurance was a natural bet because there's so much information created in the course of business, but largely it's inaccessible to people on the front lines actually working with it. So the goal is really how do we distill insights from the historical, all the unstructured data and partner with folks like IBM and others to look at external data and bring that all into the picture to give actual insights and help, you know, adjusters, managers, executives make better data-driven decisions while actually managing the claims themselves. Brilliant. Well, it sounds like we've got a great panel for today's subject matter. So let's get going. We're going to start off with sort of a quick overview of AI and insurance more broadly before we dive down into the claims process specifically. So my first question is, whereabouts in the, the sort of insurance value chain, if you like, is AI commonly used? Is it is it purely in claims? Do we see it in other areas as well? Is it most Where is it most commonly used? Just to sort of set the scene, I suppose. I would say AI and its use is across the industry value chain, right from product underwriting to product issuance to claims to all forms of servicing. Having said that, I would say AI's potential in the claims area can add more value to insurers, but I wouldn't say that it's just claims. And again, I also want to take a minute to clarify AI for AI's sake, because dealing with tons of insurers in this space, it's commonly misunderstood. For example, automation, uh, some people claim automation to be AI, but that's not AI. Automation is perhaps the first step. You do a lot of things, but AI is using the power of data that's available in your systems and power of data available outside to give you more than just what an automation, pure play automation would do. So when you add all of that up, claims definitely is the star where we can see more more AI use cases. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that distribution and underwriting probably have gotten more attention when it comes to digitization and artificial intelligence and other things over the past years. We started the company with a focus on claims because there's just so much data that's not leveraged. And, you know, I look at the industry of someone who hasn't been in the industry for a very long time. Um, I worked in financial banking and then before that in other AI and ML environments, but not within this space. And it seems that if you're going to go into underwriting and pricing and all these things and you neglect to really optimize your largest cost center on the backside, which is claims, you're not going to have kind of the best data to make these decisions on the front end. So it almost seems like applying all this advanced technology to underwriting before you really fix the problem in, in claims, which is efficiency, operational excellence, you know, really driving down costs there. You're going to always end up with a bit of a suboptimal product uh, or, or pricing strategy. And so I think it really all starts in, in the claims organization and and feeds out from there because that data is so valuable. So it's working from the bottom up. Exactly. You know, my colleagues here talked about, you know, applications and claims, applications in underwriting. You know, I always think about customer service and applying AI in customer service, right? And I'll give a personal example. I mean, uh, about 10 years ago, I moved to this new home and I called my current insurer to provide my change of address. And, you know, to me, that is an indication of an event that you can capture, run some analytics behind it and try to figure out if there is something you can predict about the customer and propose, you know, maybe perhaps a next product that you want to propose for the customer. 
And most insurers simply miss the boat. I mean, today I deal with the same insurer for three policies, and I have to call each of their divisions and repeat the same information over and over again. I think there's huge applications that are possible in the realm of customer service as well. But certainly, claims provides huge value for bank for the buck. Mira, did you want to add something else to that? No, I was just going to comment. Andrew, as an outside in a person into this industry, you have a lot to offer. I, I was going to make a joke saying you called claims cost center and the claims experts will be like, ooh, we are not cost centers out here. <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of accepted expense as, you know, insurance companies are are doing social good, right? They have a moral imperative a lot of times and they accept a lot of the risk that comes in the door at face value. And, you know, in our few short years in working with people, there is a lot of a efficiency from a from a loss adjusting expense perspective that is wasted or, or resources that aren't used properly. And that's always balanced, right? It's you're always balancing cost of resources against managing the claim versus cost of actually paying the claim. And so which one do you want to do? Where do you want to apply those resources? And how do you want to best manage towards the most optimal outcome? I mean, listen, you look at their balance sheets, it's it's the biggest, it's the biggest row <laughs> there. I'm, you know, maybe it's a blunt way to put it, but uh, but that's, you know, I don't think it can be refuted either. <laughs> hey, it's loss ratio. Whilst we're on claims, I might, I might bring us on to the next section. Before I feel the insurance banter might take us down a route that possibly better suited to the pub, um, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like that happens a lot on this podcast and it's totally fine and our listeners really enjoy it, but I'm just going to move us along a little bit now to dig a bit more into some of the things that you've all touched on, which is where, you know, what, what you've defined as AI mirror can be used in the claims processes specifically. So what in your minds are the, um, each of you will go around is, is the primary use case here? Where do you start if you're going to start applying AI within the claims process? Mira, I'll come to you first because I already called you out by name. I would first, for once, thank COVID, right? Because um, this this whole pandemic has taught us a lot of things which were an otherwise no-no by uh, several, including uh, insurance. So what I mean by that is when a catastrophe hits, the best use case is how best can I get all of my data without having to ship a bunch of people to that place for me to get a handle on the claims, right? It could be a natural disaster. It could be uh, a confined to a specific claim in a specific area, in a specific home, or whatever the case is. So the ability to have data handy for me to process a claim is, is the major use case, right? This doesn't stop with handwritten documents that come our way. It goes beyond that. It goes to the images that can be uh, brought from the internet, the, the millions of newscasts that goes out there and captures those images. Can we take that back, point it to the property that we have insured, the insurance company have insured, or zero in on, on a cluster of such catastrophic areas and try to get that. So to, for me, the brilliant use case is the ability to ingest all of the data into my legacy systems. Legacy is great, but it goes per process. It is very, very set in its ways. Now combine the power of what a legacy can do with all of this data that is available naturally to a claims expert and put it all together, allow artificial intelligence on top of that to say, hey, you know what? This is how this claim needs to be handled. And this is where you can pay it out. 
I also would add on to say that a lot of claims today continues to have human handling, but straight through processing is not a myth. Straight through processing is a possibility. Again, uh, not for everything. There is going to be human uh, in some portions, but using AI to do straight through where possible and keeping my human capital for what it's needed and worth would be great. Andrew, how about you? Yeah, I, th- I think I echo a lot of what you just said, Mira. You know, there is a lot of information stored within those legacy systems and within claims management systems that are indicative of predicting the expectations of future claims. And so how can we leverage and and distill that institutional knowledge at scale, right? An adjuster or an examiner is doing this in real time, but only has so much capacity to think about, you know, the maybe thousands of claims that they've worked. And they're thinking about, okay, this person maybe that had this disability or that had, you know, this accident happen typically has this type of outcome in this geo. And they can really only store a number of those data points. You know, artificial intelligence has the ability to look at thousands and thousands, if not more data points in context of each other. You're not going to give up kind of the precision versus the recall in your decision-making process. And you're going to drive a ton of consistency that wasn't there before. I think when we look at you know, how I would define the challenge of most claims organizations is they're so that each claim is individual and therefore has to be managed from the bottoms up, right? And so you have different examiners or adjusters of different skill sets raising their hands and saying, you know, hey, this is going sideways. And all of them do it at a different time based on different information. And, you know, once again, not having been an executive in the insurance industry, I can imagine that would be very frustrating for me as an executive trying to manage my business. And so I think what AI can actually give you is a consistent analysis dynamically in real time across your whole business so you can strategically and proactively manage from the top down. If I had to say that like at, at a high level, I think that's what predictive analytics and, and AI and, and claims can do that just doesn't really exist today from like an operational standpoint. And Anup, how about you? Is there anything that's been missed there that you think you know this is where AI really should be applied within claims? Yeah, I've actually got a slightly different perspective on this. I mean, certainly AI is applicable to all phases of the claims process, right? Whether it's intake, whether it's administration, whether it's, uh, you know, looking at settlement. I mean, you can think about AI applications at each phase of the process. But I think if you go talk to an insurer about a starting point, the answer is going to be different for each insurer. So actually... (laughs) How many of you have heard of process mining? To me, the optimum starting point is go and perform an exercise in process mining. And process mining is the application of AI to your current business process and event logs to try to figure out what are the bottlenecks, what, what, which part of the process can you actually improve? Do you have any loops within the process? That's not been done historically on a very wide basis within the industry. And I think that's the excellent starting point that I would recommend, I mean, you know, to most insurers. Brilliant. Well, I mean, that's covered a few areas of where you think it can have, you know, the most impact. I'm intrigued to know if there's anywhere you think, you know, you shouldn't think, oh, we can apply artificial intelligence to this area. It doesn't necessarily have to be the definition we've used today, but I think, I mean, 
I sit and I get press releases all day, every day, and they tell me AI is going to solve all the world's problems, every single one. It's, it's AI. That's, that's what's going to fix it. And um, obviously, people have different definitions of AI. But are, you th- are there any areas anybody can think of that you should just leave well alone or perhaps should be left till later? You know, start with why you, the three areas you've mentioned and then, you know, leave this one for later on. Because if you start there, it's, not, it's going to get you in a tangle. Or do you, or do you guys, are you subscribed to the opinion that AI will in fact solve all the world's ills? <laughs> Eventually, maybe. Um, I, I think, <laughs> especially in the current environment and the regulatory environment, I think, you know, so, so we work primarily in casualty and disability and group benefits claims. And I would argue that unlike transactional claims, like maybe an auto or a property where you can do things a lot more transactionally, there is a divide between what the AI can actually help drive in terms of efficiency and what the human does, right? The the human has critical thinking capabilities. They have the ability to actually interact and understand and and get the nuance out of a conversation with someone. Yeah, I can do a bit of that through transcription stuff, but but not the same way necessarily a human's going to. But what they can't do is the analysis and the behind the scenes work that unearths a lot of the information, the expectations and the expected severity on claims. So giving that to them heads up, as a, as a guidance tool, and then them actually working it based on an expectation is just a much more proactive pairing of technology and human resource and much more efficient in my mind than just the AI or, or just the human doing the work alone. Uh, but that's that's pretty complex, long-term, you know, meaty claims that, that we're typically talking about in that context. Mira, is there anything that you feel that, you know, should be should be left or delayed or, or, a, or should be kept AI-free? I agree with Andrew. Um, the two additions I would have is there are complex litigated claims. And when we have lawyers, there are there's generally a lot of talk that goes with it as well. So that, in my view, would be the last ones. It can be AI-aided, but there will be human touch in there. And I would attack that last. The second one is more from a human a customer perspective, right? You can use AI to push any data to a claimant you want, but if as a claimant, they are not in a position to absorb the information and seek human intervention, allow that to happen. Because if you do not, that will be very counterproductive. It's like me, right? I'm a very impatient IVR user. If, if I want to talk to a human being, uh, I want to talk to a human being. And if it means I have to hit nine, five times on the telepad, I do that, right? So there are going to be such impatient folks and claims by nature needs a lot of emotional caution to be handled with. So deal that with care. Absolutely. Anup, how about you? Yeah, to me, you know, AI is really one tool within the overall technology portfolio of an insurer, right? I mean, you have several other tools in the bag. At IBM, we use the terminology, we say basic automation, advanced automation, and hyper automation, right? Basic automation deals with things like RPA. Advanced automation is what, you know, BPM, business process management rather. And when you talk about hyper automation, you're really talking about bringing data and AI to be an integral part of the process, you know, to do data-driven decision-making, right? But when we look at any given situation and a problem and you try to apply a technology that spans any one of these along that automation spectrum, the key question for me is always going to be, 
which is the underlying ratio that it impacts, right? Is it an expense ratio? Is it a loss ratio? And if I can't do a proper traceability and show return on investment by employing AI as a technology, it's not going to solve the problem, right? I mean, take the case of developing countries going and implementing an AI algorithm in a developing country, right? Labor is cheap. Quite often, it's cheaper to get things done using human labor than introducing AI. So that's really my perspective on the whole thing, yeah? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's kind of what I was expecting you to say, but it's use it where it's appropriate for you. So where it's appropriate for company X, it may not be for company Y. Just to pick up a point, I think, about the, the sort of mirror touched on there about um, using artificial intelligence in assistance, I suppose. And that could be, you know, automated phone systems, or it could be the, the more sophisticated things we're seeing lately, the, the bots and the digital virtual assistants and whatever else we want to call them. Um, what are your thoughts on them? You know, how do customers generally react to them? Because we hear a lot of great things about them, you know, particularly, for example, from Lemonade, they say their entire claims process is handled by a bot and it's it's blinking brilliant and, you know, nothing, nothing bad comes of it. Um, but I just wondered, if any of the panelists today had their own experiences they could talk about or, you know, their own opinions on them. Um, Anup, you're nodding vigorously. I'll let you go first and then come to the rest of the panel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this kind of a question is quite relevant in the context of where we are in time today, right? I mean, COVID-19, COVID-19 hit and pretty much all insurers were forced to shut their operating environments, right? I mean, there were no agents, agent offices were closed, insurers started working from their homes, their call centers went down. And what we saw as IBM was a huge uptick in insurers wanting to install the sort of chatbot technology and uh, take advantage of, you know, having more intelligent conversations. Now, it's a little bit early to say, you know, the results that we have seen are quite encouraging. I mean, insurers and other other companies that have put this type of technology into place are seeing better results in terms of both their fixed costs go down, but at the same time, they report similar or better NPS scores that they are getting from their customers. Now, having said that, you know, I am like <laughs> like Mira, I'm also a little bit averse about chatbots unless they are super intelligent, right? I mean, I had an experience within the last three weeks actually where I signed up with a digital only company. It was a phone company for providing service. And I gave up that relationship after three days because simply I just couldn't stand dealing with the, uh, so it really depends on the degree of sophistication, but I do see, you know, good results in our customers that have started implementing these types of technologies. Mira, did you want to add to that? Because you were also nodding along enthusiastically when I was mentioning them. Yeah, certainly, right? If if it's a bad experience, like Anup, what you just said, move away. But I also want to quote a positive experience in this area. We have a seven-year-old and it was his birthday right during COVID. Of course, I can't go to a toy store, so I decided to go online and buy something for him. Here I am buying a kid's toy, a seven-year-old boy. I'm very confident that in three weeks, the toy will be uh, thrown away, right? I mean, that's that's how they use it. The online store offered me an insurance. Um, I was in two minds, should I buy it? And then I was like, well, it doesn't cost much. I'm gonna just throw it in there and see what comes out of it. 
Um, and in a couple of weeks, the toy had had its share of damage. And on a Saturday afternoon, I went online and uh, using the claim code there, more for me to test how it's working. And uh, to my sweet astonishment, in a few minutes, the entire credit for the toy was back in my account. To me, that's a claim experience using AI-based automation, which uh, without me having to get off my couch, I got it all done. So I just thought that's a great example. Uh, granted, it cannot be replicated for all. I think that's the dream, actually, what you've just described. I've had a couple of experiences like that. And sometimes you don't really trust it. You're like, wait, they're going to ask for the money back again or something. Like, <laughs> if, it's, if it works too well, maybe it's because I'm British, but if it works too well, I'm always slightly skeptical. Me too, Sarah. You're spot on. And it, it, could be, <laughs> it could be just our psyche. And I was just waiting to see they're going to ask for pictures. They're going to ask for more questions. And when none of that happened, now I can buy more toys. And if that breaks, I'd probably use the insurance. <laughs> I'm sure your son is very happy. <laughs> Andrew, did you want to, to comment on bots before I move us on? I think it's interesting where we'll see. Like, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a Lemonade user and I found the experience on the front end to be great. I have not experienced the back end yet. And, you know, a claim is your product as an insurance company. It's when you actually have to interact with the consumer when there's something that bad that happens. So, you know, sure, if you're going to pay me out my whole you know, claim and there's not many questions asked, that's obviously a great experience. When you get into those where there's nuances to the eligibility of the policy, you know, what happened, I would be hesitant to think that a lot of that experience would be very positive for me personally, if it was truly automated intent. And that's where I would have kind of a reticence to say, like, automate the declines, right? Don't, uh, but if I think if you're going to pay the claim, and it's going to be quick and easier as a result of it, no one's going to be like, I need to talk to a human. It's when things kind of go bad or break down. And um, I haven't been through that experience yet. And I don't know what that's like with some of these, you know, newer players. But, uh, you know, knock on wood, I'll never have to. But <laughs> we'll, we'll see. That that might be the risk that they have in these more automated kind of chatbots and systems they have. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the general consensus is you need to use them alongside human support agents for when things do get complicated to when perhaps when things do get emotional as well. You know, Mary, you weren't going to be particularly upset if your son's toy broke, but if it is a car accident, if it's a life insurance claim, something like that, perhaps needs a little bit more on the human side. Um, and I'll just give you the final point on this one before we move along. Yeah, I actually wanted to make uh, observation on that, right? I mean, I agree with uh, Mira and Andrew that, you know, this sort of bot technology is probably more applicable for simple claims, you know, parametric products, for example, right? Where, you know, you can essentially make a payout with the minimal amount of interaction. But even in those types of situations, I think it heavily depends on the user, right? I mean, I mean, if you think about users of your product, namely the uh, people, the insureds, I mean, they come in a variety of flavors, right? I mean, the older or the less technologically savvy, <laughs> and then you have these light or medium uh, users that have some view of technology, and then you have the younger generation that has pretty much been weaned on technology, right? To me, the way in which you handle, depending on the context from which the insured is coming in, has got to be different. Even in a simple claim, it is quite likely that older and a less technologically savvy user is going to expect some amount of handholding. 
So, I mean, I, I think about it in terms of what we call as context-aware computing, right? Understanding what the context is and then figuring out what the right channel to send the insured into uh, in order to figure, uh, you know, help them with their problem whether it's a simple or a complex claim. Yeah, absolutely. It depends on the customer in question as well, and it'll depend on your demographics. As an insurer, I don't, you know, it would, if, if you're coming to Lemonade, you would expect everything to be handled digitally, so, you you, you know, that would be all your expectation. But if you were with an older insurer, perhaps not. One of the things I do want to just touch on before we break is this conversation, this question about bias. Now, I hosted a podcast uh, recently about voice assistants and virtual assistants and, and the dangers on, of, of bias being programmed into that kind of assistant, and I think that applies more widely across artificial intelligence wherever you're using it whether that's insurance or anywhere else I mean what are your thoughts on how we make sure that we avoid bias when we're using artificial intelligence I'm just going to assume everybody's against the idea of letting um, bias be written into into algorithms I'm just going to skip over that bit uh, assume we think it's a bad thing and think what you know if anybody has any ideas about how we make sure that you know when we're using artificial intelligence and we're creating those programs we're making sure we're not embedding the bias of the team developing it in that system um, Andrew I'll come to you first on that one yeah I mean you know I would say the insurance industry isn't open and, and there's obviously reasons, regulatory and otherwise, to really have a very open conversation about this. Because I think if you were to find any level of bias in people's data and you were to do really deep analysis on this, it would essentially open up more cans of worms than people would like to address these days. So I think there needs to be a framework where you can have a very transparent and, and proactive conversation about addressing bias without getting yourself into a lot of trouble as well. And I think that's where this industry is is struggling right now to really address that that point. So Andrew touched upon an interesting point. He briefly talked about regulatory, right? I mean, this is a real concern within insurance, especially more so in underwriting than in claims, because you know the New York Department of Financial Services, for example, issued a circular called New York Circular One, which actually explicitly prevents introduction of bias when you use big data from external sources in order to underwrite insurance. So if you actually use AI, you have to have provable, explainable algorithms that show that you know there is no bias that is being introduced. The other point I want to bring about is you know inherent bias in the data. What we find in practical implementations is you know, you use a set of data for training your models, right? And then you take and put the model into production. We find that drift starts to occur because the production data is different from your training data. So it's not just preventing bias from going into the algorithm, but it's also continuously monitoring the al performance of the algorithm over its life because it's hugely impacted by the quality of data that you feed in you know, in production versus training. So we actually have an offering for this. I'm not going to be do marketing and <laughs> you can go to our website and uh, it's called OpenScale. Yeah, much like doing day-to-day -day work, having a diverse set of rules in this is going to help take the bias away. Uh, so it's about large and diverse set of data. And we also have a use case in one of the client situations where we were able to show uh, some of the inherent biases that existed with just some structured that data that they had in the past, vis-a-vis -vis the large diverse set of data using AI powered by AI, what it meant 
And a simple thing was, uh, well, yes, based on certain zip codes, certain um, name types and voice types and whatnot, when you try to make decision with a small set of data versus a large set of data, there is always a difference. And Yes, we have to be conscious in removing the bias, but it is, uh, to me, it's much faster and much easier using AI than just employing humans. And of course, humans are biased as well, which is part of the problem. But we're going to have a quick break there. We'll be back very shortly. Our brand new podcast is here. In Under the Hood, we lift the lid on the banking infrastructure that's shaking up the financial services industry. In partnership with Synapse, we'll explore a different area of banking tech every Thursday and talk to experts around the world. Head to your favorite podcast app and follow Under the Hood to catch the latest episode. Well, welcome back. Uh, Let's get on with the show. So we want to talk a little bit now about how we can actually use AI to prevent claims from happening in the first place, because that's actually really the dream for everybody involved, (laughs) is uh, if I don't have to make a claim, then the insurer doesn't want to pay out on a claim and deal with a claim. So let's just, you know, see if we can get rid of them. I I guess, you know, I, I wonder how, if anybody has any stories about how effective AI has been at at preventing claims I, the, the the industries that come quickest to mind or perhaps the the auto insurance the car insurance industry where people have been using telematics for a long time to uh, what they claim is predict uh, driver's behavior and, and tailor policies based on driver's behavior and give them warnings and so forth to make them drive more safely. Is there any evidence that that actually is the case? You know, or, or is there any other industry which you think perhaps is a better example? I know that in the health industry as well, a lot of, you know, AI has been paired up with, um, you know, similarly Internet of Things devices to try and, you know, get more accurate data sources and also then to to sort of complete the loop, if you like, and feedback and say, if you change this behavior, then, you know, you're less likely to claim. Those are two obvious examples, but there may be others that you know which are better. I can uh, talk about an example outside of auto and uh, health that you brought up. This comes actually from my personal experience, right? It was, again, about 11 years ago. We had put our uh, earlier home up for sale and uh, we were out of the home. I think it was probably a couple of days before Christmas. And uh, we got a call from our neighbor saying, there's water seeping out of your front door. It turned out that there had been metal fatigue and metal fracture on uh, uh, the pipe. Uh, under the sink and it had uh, leaked for almost a day and a half before you know it flooded the entire home and it started seeping out uh, the insurer paid out i mean it was you know in excess of $50,000 which is not uncommon for a whole house flooding incident right so if we think about applying ai i think that's uh, you know utilizing water leak detectors sensing both rates of change of flow as well as doing you know things like sensing uh, moisture changes and humidity changes and even perhaps predicting the onset of mold using de- detection of uh, humidity levels and trends in humidity levels is another interesting area that can be used to prevent claims because this is a huge issue for insurers the average claim payout on a leakage case 
I think turns out to be about $8,000, which is pretty huge in terms of payout, right? Yeah, of course. And actually, that is a great example as well, one that is perhaps less emotionally fraught than uh, than some of the ones I gave. Andrew, I'll, I'll let you come in there. Yeah, I think we, we haven't done a whole lot in the space, but, you know, Property, I think a lot of the analysis, if you look at building records, other things, there's there's certain reason these these property damages happen. And I think there's a lot of information out there that's highly unleveraged to analyze when things can likely go wrong based on the type of siding you have, the insulation, like any, anything that exists. And, and that stuff is, is actually documented. So I think there's a lot there in kind of casualty where we work, there is a tremendous investment across things like construction defect and construction or workers' compensation to drive, you know, preventative actions and safety and monitoring in the field, which is ultimately going into their pricing strategy and otherwise. So it's definitely a big investment and opportunity. I think there's a lot still to be done there that we aren't playing in today, though. Fair enough. Nera, over to you. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, focus back on the auto point that you brought about, Sarah. I recall uh, reading a Forbes report citing 20% reduction in, in those vehicles that had that little device to monitor driver behavior, right? Going back to claims prevention, is that a possibility at all? Definitely the example cited by my colleagues about a property makes sense, manufacturing units where it could be seen as a workers' compensation kind of a policy, but still workers' comp claims, if you go back and see where it happens, when it happens, the devices that they deal with, can those devices have sensors in them that can transmit uh, ahead of time so that we are able to prevent those claims are all great examples. You also spoke, Sarah, about the wearables and the health industry. Of course, who doesn't have an Apple Watch today or some kind of a Fitbit tracker to track the number of steps? My study reveals that when it comes to health wearables and direct correlation to uh, whether it, it helps in claims or not, I was not able to find evidence. But certainly in the auto sector, there is clear evidence that usage of such devices, maybe it's a psychological effect or maybe if it's a teen driver, the parent monitoring the driving behaviors, or it could be one of several things, it has led to benefits. Yes, I suppose that that you feel like you're being watched and you're always likely to behave slightly better if you think somebody's watching you. <laughs> well, I'm generally speaking, that is a general presumption. All right, well, what I want to move on to now is I want to give everybody a chance to sort of tell us what successful AI in claims looks like to them. So what is a successful artificial intelligence implementation as far as you're concerned? Is it, you know, I mean, Mira's kind of already touched on this, I think. She was saying that it's giving her her people back to do the things that people need to do. But what is there, is, is there more to it than that? What, what, what is your, you know, nirvana when it comes to AI and claims? Yeah. So my, my nirvana is, of course, put clients at the heart of everything, customers at the heart of this. Just imagine if you're in a catastrophe hit flood zone and your insurance company says, I know you are in that zone, your claim is automatically filed and we are taking it through the process. We just need one bit of data from you and your claim will be settled, right? To me, that is power of AI uh, for a customer aha moment. So that's the ultimate nirvana. And my second, I mean, it's not in, in the same order that I said, it's interchangeable is focusing on prevention versus management. If I can prevent a claim, that's for the overall good of humanity. There is a purpose in it. It's for the insurers. It's better loss ratio. So I would state these two as uh, success of AI in claims. 
I think that prevention rather than cure point is really important. I, I say prevention rather than cure, but it's the same idea that I think insurers would have a lot better reputation if they focused on helping me, you know, as I said, prevent having to make a claim in the first place than they would if they just made it easy for me to claim when something bad went wrong. Of course, you can do both. But I think a, a lot more focus could be placed on, you know, preventative measures. Um, um, Andrew, how about you? What does success look like? Sounds like an interview question. <laughs> well, to touch on the prevention point, I think it's one of the few places where the you know value for all the people in the ecosystem aligns right as the claimant i want to prevent a claim as the you know carrier i want to prevent the claim as the maybe commercial entity that's you know in the in between in that in commercial lines like that's beneficial to everybody and it's very hard to create something that is truly beneficial from an economic customer service and moral standpoint across the board in insurance every time like it's a bit of a dilemma sometimes right so I think that that ultimately is is the holy grail. Now, to look at it a bit more tactically, when claims actually do happen, right? Like, what what do you want to do? And I think an insurance carrier has the ability to spend the somewhat restrained resource they have against a claim, or they essentially can pay out a claim and they can weigh kind of use of resources against the, the cost of that claim to try to intervene or change the trajectory of it, right? So... I think what AI really lets you understand is where on that curve of expending resource to ultimate cost do you want to land and where is your ROI actually best placed, right? How do you best use a resource in this specific moment? And just important, where do you not use a resource, right? And and that's really to the efficiency point, how do you expand human capacity within these organizations to do more, be more effective in their roles? I think that's a big piece of it. Two other kind of small points I think is, explainability, which I've not touched on before, like having AI actually provide explanations so that people on the ground understand why it's coming up to the conclusions it comes up with, how it works, that's building trust within the whole ecosystem. And I think that's a really just overarching theme of AI. Like you need to build trust and change management and behavioral change with it if you're going to implement it within organizations. And I think the explainability that you know, newer entities are, are investing in is, is a huge part of that. And then lastly is don't overcomplicate it. I, I've talked to a lot of carriers who have tried a lot of solutions and they are the most advanced AI solutions and they bucket things into every single possible way you would want them and they assign things in all sorts of crazy ways using very advanced, very sophisticated technology. If that technology can't meet the basic requirements of the business though, it doesn't matter. Right. If I can't, if I'm great at assigning claims in an automated way, but I can't account for when someone's on sick day, like what's the point? Right. Like you can have the most advanced system. It needs to work within the confines of the business and the business logic. And, you know, there's, you know, just like bucketing and segmenting claims. Why am I segmented claim or designated as such if there's not a specific action that I as a carrier, I as an adjuster, I as a manager can take against it? And so I think sometimes we over engineer and, right, you know, Data scientists and engineers love to over-engineer things, I think, sometimes. <laughs> That's literally what they do. Um, and so I think bringing it down to a point where it's actually like usable in practice is, is really important because this, this stuff can be you know, way outside people's comfort zones, way over their heads in some senses, and just make it practical to the business. Yeah. 
I, and I love your point about making it explainable because nobody wants to be told computer says no when asked why their claim was denied. Well, sorry, but the <laughs> algorithm said no, so not today, mate. You know, that's, that's, that's not going to work. That won't fly in the claim <laughs> file. <laughs> no. um, and App will finish with you. Yeah. Yeah, that explainability point is very important. Again, right, I'll uh, emphasize, I think uh, there are surveys that were run. I remember reading in one of the industry reports about surveys run with customers about whether they will be treated fairly when they encounter a claims experience and only 57% of the customers said, uh, you know, that they would be treated fairly. So if you can explain very clearly why you reach a certain conclusion, at least there is a sense of fairness or explanation that you can provide. Now, to answer your question though, I mean, you know, what does a successful AI implementation look like? To me, it's a balance between achieving higher customer satisfaction and at the same time, directly impacting the insurer's bottom line, right? I mean, if I go implement AI and it usually increases my cost, but, you know, we are able to retain customers, there is still an economic equation there. You know, maybe I do want to retain a whole lot of customers because in the end, that's what drives me better business value. But if we can achieve both, retaining customers is always cheaper than acquiring new customers. So, you know, and claims is the single key determinant of you know, whether customers stay with you after they go through a claim, one such experience or not. But at the same time, you know, if I can reduce cost out of my equation by implementing that technology, I think that to me, and deliver the right ROI, that to me is a successful AI implementation. Brilliant. Well, I think that's a positive note to leave the conversation on today. You know, we've given sort of what, what success looks like, and um, I'm sure everybody will be, all my panelists today will be willing to help listeners work out what success looks like within their own businesses. So with that in mind, uh, where can people find out more about you and your companies? Um, and App, I'll start with you. Yeah, uh, the easiest way is to look me up on LinkedIn for me personally <laughs> and about my company is at uh, www.ibm.com slash industries slash insurance. Brilliant. Meera, how about you? You can look me up on LinkedIn, Meera Krishnamurti and the email ID is um, meera.krishnamurti at cognizant.com. You can learn more about Cognizant at www.cognizant.com. And I also want to uh, leave one thing there. Uh, we have plenty of case studies on AI, usage of AI in claims, be it data from sensors, uh, catastrophe-related imagery, and or simple stuff like auto. So anybody uh, wanting to explore more, Cognizant.com is where we can find all the case studies. Brilliant. And Andrew, how about you? Sure. You can look me up at Andrew now. I'm on uh, LinkedIn and visit us at evolutioniq.com to learn more. Feel free to email me directly as well as andrew at evolutioniq.com. Perfect. And you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, do subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps to make it better and it does help others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or InsureTech Insider. Or you can find us on Twitter at Instech Insiders or you can email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.